Welcome to the Greater Church Podcast. We are praying that wherever you find yourself on the journey, that this message will be an encouragement and blessing to you. And now, here's today's message. So with that in mind, uh, this, this, this heart of, of prayer in this season, uh, we're going to jump right into our teaching here. We're going to look at some words of Jesus. Uh, this first one is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. If you didn't have your Bible, it's going to be up on the screen here. Take it on your notes, on your phone, wherever you might want to be. So Matthew 7, verse 7 through 8. There we go. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, receives, and the one who asks, finds. And to one who knocks, the door will be opened. Great verse, right? That just encourages us. We kind of a prayer meeting right now, right there, right? Like Jesus is listening. He's saying, come and see, come and knock, right? All right, next verse we're going to jump into is this parable of, known as the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18. Let's put your finger in Matthew and then jump over to Luke. And Luke 18, 1 through 6 says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. I don't know what this widow's reputation is, but she comes and attacks people, doesn't do justice, right? And the Lord, the Lord said, listen to what this unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You guys join me in praying one more time before we jump into the Word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time that we're together. Lord, as we look to your words, as we look to your truth, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do beyond what my words and preparation can do, Lord, and speak directly to each person's heart, situation, and life today. We thank you, Jesus, that we can come to your words in times of questions and times of trouble. Lord, that we can stand upon what you say. So Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit and your presence here as it already has been. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God knows where your bicycle is, Damien. It's what my wife Nancy said to me. When we were living in the Chicago area. At that time, we were living in the Chicago suburbs, and every single summer, because summertime is Chicago, is a great time to eat in Chicago and to hang out in Chicago. It's iconic and beautiful in Christmas. Right now, January, this is like Chicago today. You guys are getting a taste of what four months is like in Chicago. Don't go to Chicago at this time of year. But we were living there, and every single summer, we would take a day date where we would put the bicycles on our car and come down to the city and spend the entire day riding our 
bikes around the city because it's a great way to see such a beautiful lakefront city uh, on bicycles. You can get around. We were going to our favorite favorite shops, favorite restaurants, Chicago uh, oven pizza grinder. And we made our way over to State Street. If you've ever been to Chicago, there's the famous Michigan Avenue. Then one block over is State Street. And so we'd gone in there. We'd, we'd uh, locked our bikes up there and went into some of the stores there on State Street. And we come outside, and I look, and there's my wife Nancy's bike chained up. And my bike is gone, and the chain is cut. And I don't know if you've ever been robbed before, but it's a weird feeling. In that first moment, you're like, no, it's like not a reality. Like, no, 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 it's not there. I must have left it somewhere else. That's not real. Yeah. And then they're like, no, they're just borrowing it. They're going to bring it back. They just needed to borrow it for a few minutes. And you're kind of like sitting there in shock for a few moments until then. Uh, so we're sitting there like, oh, my gosh, what in the world? And like, there's a security guard outside this one store. Like, hey, did you see anything? Did, did you see someone come by and steal this bike? And he's like, I didn't see anything. We're asking other people, did you see anybody stealing a bike right here? Because I felt like we were in the store for like five minutes. And then, um, there's a police officer walking down the road, and we're like, hey, my bicycle just got stolen. He says, well, did you, did you register it? And I said, register a bicycle? Like, I live in the suburbs. Who registers a bicycle? And he's like, there, well, there's really nothing we can do. And, you know, it's kind of like a downer of, like, your, your day date. And now bicycle is stolen, and I'm just like, okay, trying to make a plan. Like, do I ride your bike back to get the car? Do I take a bus? And Nancy had this crazy faith rise up in her, and she goes, no, Damien, God knows where your bike is. And I'm like, okay, yeah, he does. But we got to get home. Like, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so full of faith. And she's like, no, she's praying and looking around at the same time. Like, no, he knows. I'm like, babe, like 30 minutes has passed by. Like, that, you know how far you can get on a bike in 30 minutes? And so she's like praying. We're walking, walking down State Street. And then we look up that iconic, famous Chicago theater, you know, the big Chicago sign. We look there and she says, is that your bike? And there's a guy just riding in circles underneath the sign. And just riding in circles right there. And so I go, I go, I go a little jog up, and I look back, and I'm like, yeah, it's, that's my bike. And so I'm about to interact with a criminal that just stole my bike. <laughs> so I'm playing it cool, and I'm like, hey, man, like riding with something. I'm like, that's a nice bike. You? He goes, oh, man, yeah, I just got this. Someone just sold it for 50 bucks. And I was like, trying to like see him, getting the vibe from him. I was like, hey, bro. You didn't buy that bike for $50. That, that's my bike. And so he's starting to like kind of fight me and stuff. And then out of nowhere, Nancy comes pedaling up on her bike, crashing inside, says, 120-pound blonde girl goes, that's his bike. You stole it. Give it back. And the guy was like intimidated and confessed right there. Like, <laughs> and this guy, like, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, man. Just uh, all this kind of stuff. He goes, hey, but since I don't have a bike, do you think you can give some money for the bus to get home? And I was like, dang, the audacity. But I'm like asking you shall receive. And I gave him $2 to ride the bus home, right? And <laughs> so like this crazy thing, and that's like how we lived our lives of just prayer and faith and seeing God do amazing things uh, through our lives. We got to be missionaries in Jamaica and missionaries in Mozambique, Africa, and saw God provided and opened doors. Uh, in 2013, we started the church in the Chicago suburbs, and just amazing things happened. of a um, you know, we were starting in a school, kind of like Greater Start as a, as a portable church. This man that didn't even attend our church, just believed in the vision. He paid the rent for the entire first year for our church to be there. Amazing things. And then, you know, that, that first few months into the church, our own personal finances are tight and we're just praying. And then a girl that was once in our youth group, a 17-year-old girl, uh, sends us a check for the exact same amount as our rent because she had gotten inheritance and she wanted to tie it to us. And it was just like amazing of God making these ways and 
my kids will attest that we just prayed for weird, crazy things and saw God answer these prayers. Like, um, the time we needed to get a desk and a chair, and like, we're driving on the way to Ikea, and we're praying, God, just give us a deal with that. You know, God, so much. And we get there, and there's a perfect desk and a perfect chair in the as-is department. If you've never checked out the as-is department at Ikea, now you know. You can get great deals there, right? And so just, just things like that. Pray for things, and things will be given, or pray, and Nancy would go to Goodwill and find that exact same thing. There was even uh, a time when these kids wanted the dog so bad, and they were praying for a dog, and three things they were praying for, because I didn't want a dog. <laughs> pray that God changes dad's heart. Pray that he's not shedding. He's free and potty trained, house trained. They prayed for this, and within like two weeks, someone calls up and says, hey, we've got this dog up here at this, this pet store that they can't sell for some reason. They want to know if you want it. And we go up there, and it's a golden doodle that does not shed, is house trained, and is for free. We actually get the receipt from the pet store. It says $2,800 minus $2,800 because they give it to us. So like these crazy ways of God providing and God Ask, seek, knock, and it shall be given to you, right? And like all these crazy things. And then this life of journey, we end up back here in Canton and the town that grew up in, going to what's next. And fast forward to November of 2022, Thanksgiving, my wife Nancy has a really major headache and feeling dizzy. And the very next day, November 25th, I take her to the ER at Northside Hospital and they find a mass in her brain. And still not even sure what all this means and figuring out November 27th, me and my kids come here and my friend Pasquino invites me up here and you guys as a church pray and stand with us as we're walking into this unknown time of we don't know what is ahead. I remember that day so specifically. Now for the next, later on that evening, we come to find out from the doctor that she has been diagnosed with a very aggressive terminal brain tumor. Next 11 days are just a blur as you're walking with hospitals and doctors and pursuing to get to Emory Hospital and we get connected with the Southeast best surgeon, neurosurgeon. In fact, we're in the pre-op and we're about to do a, a surgery to relieve some of the pressure in her brain. The, the nurse says, oh wow, you have the president's surgeon. Said the president surgeon, she goes, yeah, he did surgery on Bo Biden. And I'm like, okay, God, you're going to do this. This is amazing. Look at all that you're doing, all that you're bringing about. And that surgeon comes in and he's honest with me. He says, I can do this surgery. But he says, but I, I can't save your wife. I cannot do anything. And through tears and, and conversation, and he says, we have 10 days. And so I said, okay, uh, God doesn't need 10 days to do a miracle. He can do a miracle in weeks. We, our entire world praying. Seven churches hosting prayer meetings. Everyone we know praying. And then for the next day, for those prayers to feel like they were just thrown into a void because he did not answer our prayer the way that we expected him to. As the next day, Nancy went from this life to being in the presence of Jesus. And there's these times when, like, you, you get upset with God for not answering the prayer that you so desperately pray. It doesn't make sense. How do you 
justify and worship and pray and talk to a God who helps you find a stupid stolen bicycle, but then doesn't heal a wife and a loving mom? Like, how do you still talk to that God, and how do you still have faith? Because there's a time when life just gets real, and, like, we have to put into practice what we know and what we believe. So that was 13 months ago, and it's been a, a shaking time and a, a shaping time of, of what I believe because, man, there's times I didn't want to pray anymore. I don't know if you've ever been there. And then all of a sudden, I'm going for a walk, and I find myself talking to God. And I'm like, oh, wow, we're talking again. Because it was ingrained in me of talking and praying to God, even when I didn't want to, even when I've been disappointed. And some of you know our story, and you know us, and some of you don't. And when you hear that, you right to your mind comes those things that you've prayed for that have not been answered. Things that you desperately prayed for, and you go, God, where, where are you? Why, why didn't you answer? Or maybe you're still there now, and it's just like he's not answering the prayer that you are crying out day and night. And that silence can be like deafening. And so those times when you're left in the puddle on the floor and distraught and don't understand why God would do these things and answer someone else's prayer and not yours. Then you're, you're, you're praying for these big things. And, and I grew up in churches that believed in miracles and believed that God could do the impossible. And I still want to. Sometimes, as a spirit-filled believer, sometimes I think it would be easier if like miracles and healings weren't on the table. Like, if that wasn't part of the doctrine, because, like, if God was predictable every single time, that would be an easier God to follow. But he's not that. He's much more mysterious than I've ever known. Much more mysterious. And he does things that I get mad about, and I don't understand this side of eternity. And so what do you do when you're in those moments is, like, you got to come back to what you know and what the Word of God says. Because our feelings deceive us, and our experiences can even shape our theology more than God's Word. And it's hard, and it's challenging, and it's difficult. And so, some of you are going, Damien, this is the wrong sermon. We're finishing up 21 days of prayer. Like, you're supposed to be encouraging us to pray, not telling us about unanswered prayers. But the fact is, if we're a church that's going to believe for the miraculous, believe for healings that we've been prayed for this morning in the pre-service prayer, if we're going to be that, we've got to have a, a category, a space, an understanding of unanswered prayers. Or we will lose the faith that we have when things are shaken. So we're going to do that today. We're going to look at the words of Jesus, and I believe the words of Jesus are going to give us an empathetic, instructive, and clear answer to this painful conundrum of unanswered prayers. And the hope is to leave us with the desire to continue to pray again. Let's go back to Matthew 7, verse 7 through 8. 
says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. Like I said, those are some super encouraging words. Like we can rally a prayer meeting right now around those words. We just got to ask. We just got to seek. We just got to knock and we will receive. But then you compile the words of Jesus with our real life experience and we go, Jesus, is that false advertisement? Jesus, was that hyperbola? Did you really mean that? Or is there something lost in translation of what this means to us? We see here three different verbs, ask, seek, knock. And what I think Jesus is laying out here, he's showing us the journey of prayer and how we journey through prayer. He starts with the first one of ask. And that's mostly what leads most of us to pray in the first place, right? It's like I, I have a weekly men's group that we meet together and we get together and we're like, hey, what's the prayer request? And we have it asked. And, like, and most, most asking starts with a diagnosis. Most asking starts with a, a loss of a job, a credit card bill that can't be paid, a, a, a challenge with a child. A, we come with our problems. We come and we ask for God to come and do something. That's what causes us to pray or causes us to pray again is when we've got something that we're bringing to God. And so he starts there. He says, you ask. And then through your asking, you're seeking. This word seek is not something we always use very much in our common language, but we see it all throughout the Old Testament of the Old Testament uh, judges and the prophets and the poetry of the Old Testament talking about seeking God. Seek the Lord in the days that he may be found and, and seeking the face of God. And so this, this asking leads us to this place of we are seeking God, the one who has the answers, the one who can do the miracle, the one that can give us direction, the one that can make sense out of this chaos. So we start, we ask, and then we're seeking God. And then that Jesus doesn't stop there. He leads us to this last one called knock. And knock that we see, that is this, this idea of but we see it in Revelation 3. He says, you've heard the verse many times, probably behold or here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I open the door. I will come and eat with that person and they will be with me. So this whole idea uh, is like this knock is an invitation to relationship with the almighty creator of the universe. And I think sometimes in our Christian if you've been in church on time, like with prayer, but like we really see that we are invited to come have conversation with the creator of the universe, with Jesus himself, that he is accessible to us to talk to him. And so that's what, she, like that, that's what Jesus is, is doing. He's like, this, this journey of it starts with the ask, you seek, but no matter what the answer comes between, it leads to a place of this knock of invited, intimate, restful, one-on-one conversation, pulling up a chair, sitting on a couch next to Jesus and talking to him. That's where it leads. That's what his whole heart is behind. This is the journey of it. We go seeking gifts, but in the end, we always get the giver. Even when we don't get the gift that we first thought we wanted. That's what he's doing. He's inviting us into there. And I'm not, we're going to get, we still believe in miracles. We still believe that he can do this, but that is the ultimate thing that he's leading us to. He wants, if we didn't have pain and struggles, would we even talk to God? Would we be self-sufficient? Would we wouldn't need a God? About a week or two after Nancy passed away, um, my brother-in-law started a post on Facebook called 
hashtag Nancy's impact. And people were just sharing her impact in their life. And it was a testimony of, of, of what she did. And I always say that, like, I only, we were pastors for 10 years. I only got her to preach one time, one sermon. And I never got her to sing, even though she had a beautiful singing voice. And yet she had greater influence without a microphone than I did with a microphone for 10 years. <laughs> and so the impact that she had. And so this one person writes this, alluding to this prayer journey so beautifully. Um, from Emily, she says, it's taken me a few days to process what has happened here. I've checked the feed daily. I've seen others' beautiful posts. I've taken time to listen to different videos and songs and such. I felt such sadness. I've been trying to get the right words. I met Damien and Nancy as I was in the middle of a divorce. I moved to a place with our younger daughter. Unfortunately, the McCrinks were our neighbors. I found myself very drawn to them, their warmth, their kindness, their humor. I quickly realized that I've never met anyone like Nancy. She was genuine to her core, and I felt like we'd always be friends. As we moved around, I slowly started to lose touch, but I never stopped me from checking in on their beautiful family on Facebook to see what adventures they were on next. I'm sad to say that I feel like I took that for granted that I would see her again. So for my Nancy's impact story, I'd like to share this. It's been a minute since I've really prayed. Here and there while driving in the middle of the night, when I'm up with a baby, I find myself talking to God sort of like a check-in. Then when all of this happened with Nancy, I found myself praying every day and praying hard. I found myself asking others to do the same. And before you knew it, Nancy had thousands of people across the country and maybe even the world praying in unison. And that's really powerful. And sometimes when the outcome is not what we wanted, it feels like it didn't work. But I bet if you had the chance to ask Nancy, if it worked, she would say, you bet it did. It starts with an ask. It leads to people seeking, and they come into relationship with God. <clears throat> Mother Teresa says, Prayer enlarges our hearts with the capacity containing God's gift of himself. As we pray, as we come asking, as we come seeking, our heart just kind of makes space for God himself to come in and dwell among us. Prayer is that invitation to pull up a chair next to Jesus and talk to him about your life. This is the prayer journey. We come seeking gifts, but we get the giver. And we're welcomed and we're accepted and we're loved for who we are and where we are. And that's all good and beautiful and poetic. And some of us are like, I got questions. <laughs> I got questions like, what about the person that keeps asking, keeps seeking, but hasn't received? Jesus, what do I do about that? If I've been asking and I haven't yet received what I'm asking for, and I feel like I'm still alone in this waiting and difficult, painful event of my life. Well, the interesting thing about these words of how they're written, this ask, seek, knock, is written in the Greek context of a uh, verb context that we don't really have in our English language. It's like it's a present action that goes on into the future. The best translation of it is, 
Keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. So he says it's not a one and done thing. It's a continuation of continuing to seek, continuing to do it. It's not just a one prayer. It's a continuing. And that response can build some faith in us. Okay, I've got to have persistence. I've got to keep going. And then depending on what pain you are in, what you're facing right now that can feel insensitive and even tick you off of Jesus, you want me to keep seeking this? And Jesus knew that's a hard pill to swallow. And so he tells us this parable of the persistent widow to kind of put flesh and blood onto this feeling of this conundrum of how do we keep seeking, how do we keep asking in this idea of persistent asking, seeking, knocking. Luke 18, 1 through 6. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Luke is like... (laughs) Spoiling the end before it even starts. Jesus hasn't even got a word in. You know, a lot of parables, we kind of read and go, what does Jesus mean by this? What is he saying? What's his intent? What's the purpose of this person? And there's all this mystery to some of his parables. And he's making it very clear. The reason, the purpose of this parable is right there. To show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's the point. You don't have to have a theological doctrine degree to be able to interpret this one. It's right there. He's making it very clear. Verse 2 says, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor care what people think, Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. This parable is meant to serve as like a life raft when we are in that place of unanswered prayer and silence and that time of waiting. We're given this picture of this relentless widow who keeps bringing the same request before this judge, asking for justice, requesting justice be done on her behalf. So again, we can read this and go, okay, if Jesus is comparing the widow to a praying person, is Jesus comparing God to this unjust judge who's like distant, upset, doesn't care, you know? about this person. And Jesus, again, goes on to interpret his own parable to make sure that we're not viewing God as annoyed and uninterested in our request. He interprets it. He says, he says this, listen to what the unjust judge says. He's unjust. Our God is just. He's a just king, a just God. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? So Jesus is not comparing God to this unjust one. He's actually contrasting and distinguishing the difference of a just God that we serve. And he's not one that God is, he's not saying God is disinterested and if you annoy him and bother him enough, he will finally give you your answer. But sometimes we can feel that way, right? Like, I've got to be loud enough. I got the squeaky wheel gets the oil. If I annoy God enough, he will pay attention and give me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, our God is just, a just God. Even 
in the silence. Even in the unanswered prayers. Even when I'm asking, seeking, knocking, and it feels as though he's not answering, he still is just. So what is God doing in this time of silence? What is God doing with all of those prayers that you and I have prayed and haven't gotten the answers from? There's tears that we've shed, and it feels as though he's been distant. What does he do with all of that? The scripture tells us there are two things that God collects that last forever. Last forever. From this life into eternity. This world as we know it in front of us, it is passing away. Scripture tells us that what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. He says the things that pass from this temporary place into eternity, two things are prayer and tears. Psalms 56 says this, You've kept track of all my wandering and my weeping. You have stored my many tears in your bottle. Not one will be lost, for they are recorded in your book of remembrance. When you are in those places of pain, disappointment, and the thick of the mess of life down here, and you wonder where God is good and where God is, and you, you feel lost and forgotten in your tears, God is collecting those. He sees those, and he's putting them in this bottle that he's collecting. And not only that, we have the promise that when we are within eternity with Jesus, Revelation 2, 21 says this, he will wipe away the tears from our eyes. Imagine Jesus himself wiping away those tears of the brokenness and the pain and the hurt that you've gone to, that he will wipe them away personally. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old orders of things has passed away. He's going to do that. So our tears, our tears are collected there. And the other thing that is collected in heaven is our prayers. What happens between every single one of those words that you say between dear God and amen? Those ones that are cried out in pain and agony, those ones that are, you know, trying to be eloquent, those ones that you're just like a whisper under your breath. What happens to all of those prayers that we pray? Well, this is like this other picture, picture in Revelation that we see. The picture of Revelation is this, our future hope, this blessed hope that when, when God is going to come and make all things right, and chapter 5 gives us very interesting description of what's going on. It's, it's even hard to wrap into our, our concept of what heaven is like. But there's this picture of this scroll, and the scroll has these seven seals on it, and, and God is holding it. And like these seals, it, it's, John, is, who's the, the one who's writing Revelation, is like, he, he starts to weep because like there's, there's this thing that's supposed to be open, and he's like, who can open it? Who can open? Who is worthy? Who has the, the ability? Who has the leadership? Who has, the, who has paid the price to be able to open this scroll and these seals? And he's like, no one is available to do it. And then he sees the Lamb of God, Jesus, who gave his life for you and me. And because he was that sacrifice, he's the only one that is able to open this scroll. So this is what's going on. And then he pitches this thing of like, there's these 24 elders worshiping. And then it says, here he is, Jesus is here, this Lamb of God. And he says in verse 8, says, And when he had taken it, so Jesus has the scroll in his hand, 
The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each of them had a harp they were holding and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Let your imagination go there for a moment. That up in heaven, these people that have golden bowls holding my prayers and your prayers. The ones answered and the one unanswered. And they're filling up these bowls. And they're holding them in this precious way. They're they're caring for those prayers. And he's treasured each one of your prayers. And he's listened to them. And they're seen as holy. But God's not just a collector of things. He's not just going to put them on a shelf. We read on in Revelation 8 that there's this, uh, now it's going on, the, the story's progressing of what's happening, and God is bringing about judgment on the earth in this moment. When I say judgment on the earth, I don't want us to see this like, man, he's just coming to burn everything up. God is coming to deal with sin, suffering, injustice, sickness, disease, once and for all. All of that stuff is going to be burnt up. All of that stuff is going to be taken care of once and for all. That for all. That's what's being poured out. So he says, so says this in Revelation 8, then the angel But the golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. With a great amount of incense with him, with given to him, he mixed with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke and the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth Thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. Blow your mind. This is is an imagery of of ancient temple worship that he's kind of pointing to in this heavenly realm. And like, so God is, I don't even understand. My mind can't comprehend it that somehow my prayers answered and unanswered are bringing about this bowl that's going to then be poured out to bring about the restoration of this earth. God wants me involved in it. I don't understand why, but he keeps on inviting us to be part of it. And he pours it out as a part of redeeming this broken world and being done with sickness, disease, once and for all. So he's collected our prayers. He's holding them there and he's pouring this out. And I want this to encourage you that even those prayers that have not been answered, that's why we can say all of his promises are yes and amen. Because in the end, they will be answered. In the end, those things will be taken care of. In the end, the injustice that you have experienced will be taken care of once and for all. He will come and make all things new. He will restore it. Amen? These are the things of God that I do not understand. So this is what Jesus is saying. Keep on Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Be that persistent widow. He will make all things right in the end. Persistent prayer from the promise that we don't have a half uninterested judge, but we have a God who hears our prayers, collects our tears, and plans to use them for the good, not just in our own lives, but for the entire world. Look back at those final words of the parable of the persistent widow. He says this, Jesus says this as he's closing it gives us this very straightforward challenge with this painful thing of like in the silence, in the waiting, in the continuing to pray. He says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice 
quickly. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have to have Jesus redefine quickly for me because it's been a long time coming, right? (laughs) Quickly, Jesus (laughs) says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When our prayers don't get answered the way that we want, will we still have faith? Will we still have faith? Will I have faith to pray for Pastor Chino's pastor that's going through cancer when I didn't see a healing to cancer? Will I have faith to pray for my friend that needs a job when I'm looking for a job? Will I have pray to pray for someone else's financial situation when my financial situation hasn't been answered yet? Will I have faith or will I just throw my hands up and be done? Will I be persistent? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So I want to close with one more story. Because these are these disciples of Jesus that have heard, ask, seek, knock, heard the story of the parable. Now Jesus has gone to heaven. Acts 2 is the birth of the church happening in Jesus' name. They're spreading the gospel. All these things are happening. In Acts 12, you probably have heard Pastor Chino preach it. It's a, certain, it's a message that people love to preach about Peter being arrested and put in prison for preaching Jesus, right? And he doesn't care. He's like, yeah, fine, arrest me. I'm going to continue to preach. Well, he's, pre- he's put in prison. You've heard this one. It's like straight out of a Marvel movie. Like he's locked up in chains and this, this angel just walks through the walls, takes the chains off of Peter and somehow walks Peter right past the guards, right past the gate and like kind of like just like walks through the walls in a way, you know? And then Peter kind of like, he feels like he's dreaming. He wakes up and he's in the street and he's like, how did I just get out of prison, right? You've heard it, Acts 12, uh, if you haven't read it. Amazing story, and we love to preach it. And then at that time, he like goes to the prayer meeting because people were praying for him at that same time when he was in prison. And he goes to the door where the people are praying up in the upper room, and he's knocking on the door, and the servant comes and opens the door and says, oh my gosh, it's Peter. She shuts the door and runs away. She's so freaked out, right? And, And goes upstairs, so Peter did what Jesus said, says, keep knocking. So he just keeps knocking, right? He keeps knocking and like, oh my gosh, you're here. Amazing, faith-building story. Jesus can do these amazing things and miracles. But what hit me here recently was the context of what the church was going through. Here's the context we see in chapter, verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, it was about this time King Herod had arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He held James, the brother of John, put him to death with the sword. When he saw that it met the approval of the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter. So we're going to assume some things here. They're in the same town. Peter was arrested. Potentially the week prior, James was arrested. There's not that many prisons. Quite possibly, James is arrested in this and put in the same cell that Peter was put in. The same prison, the same cell that Peter was put in, okay? And if people got together, the church got together and prayed for Peter, do you think they had a prayer meeting for James? Most likely, the believers were praying for James. But what happens to James is James is killed with a sword. But the church, even though James has just died, they said... Peter's now arrested. Let's pray again. Let's pray again. They didn't get distraught by, James just got killed by the sword, but they continued to pray. They continued to show up in church. That's what we do is like, even when they're not answered the way that we think they would be, they showed up and they prayed again. And so we want to go, why God? Why 
this James die by a sword, and then you do this miraculous thing of an angel getting Peter out? And the theological answer is, I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. That's the mystery of God. Why does God, there's a boy that had a brain tumor in 2019 that I went and visited the hospital and our church prayed for, and he's living a full life today. God healed him. And then I pray for my wife. I don't get the answer. I don't know. These are those mysteries of God. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will we continue to pray? Would you guys stand with me? Thanks for listening to our podcast today. The mission of Greater Church is to reach and empower all people. And we hope that this message met you wherever you find yourself on the journey. If God is using this ministry to impact your life, please head to our website at www.greater.church where you can read a message from our pastors, partner